uses a very specific way to draw out the Athenians, the Greeks. Um, and even later on, when he, when he addresses King Agrippa, he speaks to the king in a very specific way. So Paul was very precise in his language. Uh, in, in a few months, Lord willing, on a Sunday morning, we're going to be kind of walking through some of Paul's key uh, sermons in the book of Acts and how he addressed uh, different groups here. I, I think what Paul is saying here is that that testimony really is more the, the mystery of God, right? Found in the earliest uh, translations, that all the Bible points to Christ. That this mystery is, is that which was hidden in ages past, but now is made known. The mystery of God is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God came to save sinners through the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. Now, we know that all of the Bible points to Jesus. Jesus declared this himself on the road uh, to Emmaus. He said, all the scriptures are about me. And what I've been trying to do in this minor prophet series is to show you how each specific minor prophet brings out and, and, and shows forth Christ. So in, in the book of of Hosea, chapter 1, Hosea was saying that you should call your children not my people and no mercy. Why? Because I will make my, you my people and I will give you mercy. Quoting, uh, Peter quotes that in First uh, Peter chapter 2. And even in, in Hosea 13, it says, O death, where is thou sting? And Paul quotes that in, in 1 Corinthians 15, saying that, that, that the sting of, 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 of death is sin, and sin is, is overcome with, with Christ. In the book of Joel, we said, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And again, the sending of the Spirit, that he will send his Spirit upon all people. And the young men will, will dream dreams, and the old men will, will prophesy. In Obadiah, which we studied, look, looked at last week, it says in, in, in Obadiah uh, 11 through 15 that God will save the nations. So in, in Acts 15, uh, James, the, the elder James, who is at the council of Right's about to have the, the, the big church meeting about what's gonna, what are we going to do with the, uh, the Gentiles. He quotes back to Obadiah, pointing to the, the Obadiah prophesies this day when Christ's people would, of all, of all stripes, would come, uh, come to him. Uh, and this morning, thinking about Jonah, that Jonah was a sign and a, of a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. He walked around the city for three days and three nights. Because I didn't really make, have time this morning, but Nineveh was such a large city, they would have taken three days to kind of travel around the entire city uh, to proclaim uh, the message of the, of the gospel. So for three days and three nights, he was in the belly of the fish. For three days and three nights, he walked around the city. And, of course, that is the sign of the resurrection that Jesus Christ, for three days and three nights, was in the belly of the earth before his resurrection. So you see, just in the first four minor prophets, every single one is referenced in the New Testament to show Jesus Christ. Okay? So I think that the, the mystery of God, which was hidden in the Old Testament, has now made, been made known in Christ. So what Paul did in his preaching was made known the mystery of God. He didn't do it with the, the worldly way of salvation. right? Remember the passage right above in chapter 1 where the, the Jews demanded signs and the Greeks sought wisdom? He didn't preach those things. He preached the very simple message of Christ crucified. Look at verse 2. It says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That doesn't mean that the only thing that he preached every single day was Jesus Christ and him crucified and sat down. Right? He, he preached more things, but he, he taught everything from the Old Testament to the New was to show the centrality of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion as the only hope for salvation. That was the, his, his proc proclamation. 
right? The message of proclamation is the message of Jesus Christ. So anytime you hear a, a sermon given where Jesus Christ is not the hero of that sermon, it is not a good Christian sermon. I remember one Sunday, or one Wednesday, after uh, teaching, and um, I, I taught, and it, it like dawned on me, right after I said amen, I didn't preach the gospel. It was as clear as day, I didn't preach the gospel. And of course, uh, when you have someone like John Whitaker in the congregation, is he always is aware of these things. And the first thing he says to me after I, I just preached for 30 minutes is, you, uh, you didn't preach the gospel, did you? No, I didn't, John. Thank you for pointing that out. But I'm glad that he was able to hear that, right? Because he knows that when, when, when the word of God is preached, the, 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 the cross should always be preached. The death, burial, and resurrection should always be preached, right? We, we need people in our lives to, to challenge, to make sure that the gospel is always preached. That was the centrality of Paul's message here. So I think what you could make the argument that we, we don't have to have... Um, lofty speech in the sense of using big words and all that kind of thing. I think you can make that and not using with, with wisdom and not trying to be philosophical in our preaching. Uh, I think you can make that case, but I think the, the more accurate message here is it's not that you use rhetoric and use style, but it, it's that you preach the gospel, right? That you preach death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the centrality of your message. And you look for it all over the pages of the Bible. So when you read your Bibles at home, when you're doing your Bible reading plan, you should look for the gospel. My wife is discipling a young college student. Every, every week uh, they're reading through uh, a psalm. And every time they're just saying, where's the gospel here? Where do we see the gospel here? It's a great way to study God's word. Pick a, pick a passage of scripture, read it with a friend, and ask where is the gospel seen here? Number one, the message of proclamation. Number two is the meekness of pro- proclamation, the meekness of of proclamation. Look at verse 3. It says, And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. When you, when you really study the Apostle Paul, you know, he sometimes is kind of almost in many ways kind of deified in the Christian church because he's such a powerful minister of the gospel. And we kind of think about how he looked and we kind of think like him being the, the best known preacher of the day, who, who came in and everyone just kind of stopped because he was so powerful in his oration. But the Apostle Paul was not the best public speaker. History says that he was actually not very good in public speaking. It's almost like Moses when he says, I'm not gifted in speech, who was a, who was a stutter, and God spoke through him. Um, it's said in, in a um, second century writing, the Acts of, of Paul and Thecla, right? There's a lot of... Um, Apocrypha that kind of was written right around the time of Jesus, uh, you know, the, the Gospel of, of Hermes, the Gospel of, of Thomas. Now, though we don't, we, we don't look at them as, um, as canonical, meaning they're not part of the Holy Scriptures, they're still useful, right? There's still some things in there that we can kind of pull things out. And this is what it, what it said of Paul, according to history, that Paul was said to be a man of small of stature, with a bald head and crooked legs, and a good state of body, with eyebrows meeting, and a nose somewhat hooked. Okay? So Paul was a short, stocky, bald guy that kind of had funny legs with a unibrow. He's not the guy that you would think to look for if you're a search committee. Right? Uh, he, he did not, he, he came with his demeanor in 
and humility. It wasn't one that you would, you would look at. 2 Corinthians 10.10, Paul says that his opponents were writing to him and saying, for they say his letters are weighty and strong. And when you read Paul's letters, don't you think that they are weighty and strong? It's kind of like they pack a punch. But, they say, his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. So that the teachers in Corinth were looking at Paul and saying, why would you listen to him? Because he's not a very good speaker. He stumbles over his words. He, he trembles. He doesn't look like he should, he should be up on stage with a unibrow and crooked legs and a bald head and, and a stubby body, right? But remember, God loves to use the, what, the weak things of this world to shame, shame the wise. He just mentioned that. And even in many ways, while he's proclaiming that to the church, he's writing that to his own heart, right? God chose me, the, the weak things of this world, to shame the strong. This idea of trembling here, it's not necessarily of him. It's a trembling with a, with a desire to complete the task the Lord has given him. He took it so seriously, his task. Uh, during our intern discussion this, this afternoon, we read through Acts 20. And Acts 20, 17 through, through 35 is this wonderful picture of Paul laboring with the saints at Ephesus, right? He says, I did not shrink back from declaring you the whole counsel of God in public and from house to house, right? He laid down his life for the church because he was burdened that they would know the Lord, that they would know the mystery of God, that he lived for Christ crucified. I mean, just do a quick search through the scriptures and how often does Paul talk about uh, the crucifixion? I mentioned this last week, the, the, the Philippians, um, in the book of Philippians, the, the book has 108 verses, 54 of them mention Jesus. Paul lived a Christ-centered life. Shouldn't we all live that way? We should be so enamored with Jesus Christ that, that, that we would just tremble to, to bring his, his word about. And yet Paul was not the greatest speaker. And God used him mightily. So I think sometimes people think that uh, because I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a great public speaker that God can't use me as a teacher. I just don't think that's true. I, I do think that John Piper, I quoted him this morning, I think that he has probably had the greatest impact of any pastor in the last, 20, in the last 30 years. I, I just think he's made that impact. And um, he was so scared to speak in public, Right? Um, as, as, a, as a kid, is that he would take a, uh, an F in public speaking if he was still able to, to pass his, um, get his diploma. I mean, he was terrified to speak in front of people. And one day he, he was asked to pray at, in chapel at his college. And he prayed in chapel. He said yes without even asking. He said he was so terrified just to stand up and pray at the chapel that he, he couldn't sleep the night before. Like he was terrified to get up and preach. And yet God now allows him to preach in front of millions, literally in front of millions. So do not think that just because you don't have the gift now that God won't equip you, that God doesn't want to use you. Because God loves to use the weak things of this world to shame the strong. John Flavel uh, writes this of, of preachers. He says, it will tell you a crucified style best suits the preachers of a crucified Christ. A grave and proper style become the lips of Christ's ambassadors. Words are but servants to the master, to the, to the matter. An iron key fitted to the wards of the lock is more useful than a golden one. Not will, that will not open the door to the treasure. The, the job of a preacher is to get up and declare the word of God, right? In, in, in a style that is becoming of the resurrection. Not to make much of themselves. And I think what I see a lot in, in preachers today is they really want to make much of themselves. 
I pray that, um, that when people leave here, they will never say that's a great preacher, but that he preached about a great God. Right? That's what we want. We want people to remember the great God that we serve and not in the manner in which we delivered it. So we have the, the, the message. We have the, 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 uh, the meekness of, of a preacher. Then la- proclamation. Lastly, we have the, the means of proclamation. The means uh, of proclamation. You see right there in, in, in verse 4. It says, and my speech and my message. So there's almost a differentiate there. He differentiates between speech. That could be more of his, his language. Uh, but then his message is, 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 is the gospel. Right now, his message is the gospel to, to Greeks who want wisdom and to Jews who want science. His message is, is the same of Christ crucified. That the power of God is only seen in Jesus Christ. Do you know how important that message is? I cannot tell you how much the, the, the exclusivity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ alone saves, is under attack in our day. We are living in a day of tolerance, and it's hard to preach the gospel to people, because people want to say every opinion is equally valid. But the Bible says no, there is only one way, there's only salvation found in one name, and that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, in my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. It did not make sense to them, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. We see this often when it comes to preaching, that the preacher uh, is not is the tool that God uses, but the power is all the Holy Spirit. The power is the Holy Spirit that flows through the preacher, right? So I pray every day, you're praying, when the Word of God goes forth, that you're praying that the Holy Spirit would speak, that he would speak through whoever preaches, right? Because it's the Holy Spirit that, that, can, they, that can bring power. You know, if we have a, a, a church that is living... Um, in, in the flesh all week long, we can't expect the Spirit to come in power to us on a Sunday, right? Uh, the same thing for leaders. If, if leaders are walking in, in, in the flesh, living in, in, in worldliness, we can't expect that the, the Spirit is going to come and use them the same way. We want to make sure that the, that, that the Spirit of God has, has His way with us. That's the power. And what is this power? It's the power of God to convert sinners, to take dead hearts and make them alive. Only God can do that. As I said this morning, quoting, quoting Jonah, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's the same thing in Psalm 3.8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God begins salvation and God completes salvation. Why? It's because of the Holy Spirit that does it. So we pray that the Holy Spirit would move in and through the preacher. Not in the, in, not in the power of his delivery, and the voice and the, the illustration, no, it's in the power of the Spirit of God. Some of the sermons that I preached that I thought were the absolute worst <laughs> were just I'm like, I got down, I'm like, I'm so glad that's over because that was just miserable for me and everyone who was listening. Those are the times when God, God uses the, the sermon the best. I think it's God's way of humbling us and realizing that it's not about you It's about the spirit and the power of God to convert sinners. As long as you preach the message of the gospel, as long as you preach Christ and him crucified, the living Christ, the eternal son of God who became a man, clothed in humanity, taking humanity upon himself and dying a sinner's death, paying for our sin, being crushed for our iniquity, being raised from the dead for the hope of all eternity. As long as we preach that message, God will save sinners. And that message is the one that's under attack more and more today.
This is why I am always nervous when I see churches doing the three ways to help your marriage sermons. Four ways to be a better parent. Now, do you need to learn how to have a better marriage? Yes. Do you need to learn how to, how to be a better parent? Yes. There's, there's places for that. But the only way you can be a better parent is if you know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ crucified. The only way you can be a better husband and a better wife is that you hear the message of Christ crucified. What is going to make you serve your wife, husbands, but studying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who emptied himself, who gave himself up to love his bride. Therefore, we want to love our bride because Christ emptied himself of that. Right? You know, parents, how do we want to, to labor for our kids when we understand that salvation only belongs to Christ, that we would labor in prayer for the, for the souls of our children, right? that we, have, we live in a dangerous world we're, we're, we're with an adversary that wants to, to lie, kill, steal, and destroy the souls of our children. Wouldn't that, 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 that knowing that only the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can save them, that we'd be more uh, encouraged and strengthened to, to go after the souls of our kids and disciple them unto the glory of Christ? If we don't have the message of the gospel, we have nothing. We have no power. The power of God is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I see churches shifting and trying to win people back to the, to the church with gimmicks, I think they get it all wrong. I, get it. I, think they, I think they get it all wrong. You preach the gospel. You preach the gospel. Christ crucified. And if you do that, God will save sinners. He may not do it in a, in a fast way, or he may. God is the judge of that. You know, I think about churches in, in Texas like the Village Church, right? The Village Church was a, a church a lot like ours, right? Uh, they kind of took a different approach to how they tried to, to, to change things. So it was a First Baptist Church probably look very similar to ours, and they changed, uh, changed the name, they changed the style of worship, and God moved that church from 150 people to 7,000 people in four years. And it's not a fluff church. It's a church that preaches the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an act of God, right? That, that is a miracle of God for that to happen. It's a miracle of God, I hope you know, that the fact that we have as many college students in our church. Even talking to uh, someone this week, they said, Pastor, I just want you to know that your church has the most college students of any church in Rock Hill. We're like one of the smallest churches in Rock Hill, and yet we have one of the most college ministries. Why? Because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you, and you, you love Jesus. You live the crucified life. You're pouring your life into these young people. You're happy, you're loving, you're living your life in the spirit of God, and people are drawn to that when they hear the word of Christ. They see that in you. God is moving in our church. There is no earthly, natural reason that we should attract young people. Right? I mean, there's a lot of empty pews right now. Right? We have, people may say that we're, we're a little bit older and traditional in our style. And yet God is continuing to use our church. Praise God. Praise God. Why? It's because it could be clear that, that what is happening here is happening by the hand of God. I pray when I came here in 2012, I prayed that God would do something in our church. That if we look back on it 10 years down the road, we would know that it was only by the act of God. That it makes no earthly sense outside of the spirit of Christ and his power. And beloved, that's happening. That's happening right before our eyes. I don't want to miss it. I want to see God right there 
in the midst of it. Notice here what the scripture says. There's a reason here, verse 5. Basically what I just said. Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Our faith is not in the wisdom of man. We were not saved by ourselves. We were not saved because we're, we're great people. We love we loved our wives, loved our children, and did all these great things. No, we're saved by the power of God. We're saved because we who were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made alive by his spirit in Christ because we believe Christ crucified and risen for us. I pray that we would always know in this church that the true power is not of man, but it is of God. So that our faith does not rest in our ability to keep God's commandments, but our faith rests wholly and completely what Christ has done for us on, on our behalf. He died for us. He was raised for us. And the Bible says if we share in a death like his, we will most certainly share in a resurrection like his. I pray that we would look forward to that day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a great and glorious God. Uh, we thank you that the power of God rests not in man but rest fully in you. We thank you for the spirit of Christ that forms and transforms our hearts to, to, to being cold, to be alive in you. God, we pray that you would continue to allow us always to see that salvation belongs wholly and completely to the Lord. That we are not our own, but we belong both body and soul to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.